What three simple steps would help someone be more effective in an interview? Also, how can you effectively deal with rejection or disappointment, whether that's in a working role, interview or presentation? Stay tuned as we're about to get some expert help. Welcome to Half Hour Mentor. My name's Ian Cleverdon and welcome to the final episode of the first series. Thanks to everyone who has commented on and rated the series to date. I'm delighted that so many of you have gained benefit from the variety of different people I've interviewed. If you're new to the series, do go back and delve into the back catalogue. Series 2 will soon go into production, so if you have anyone who you'd like to hear from, or indeed feel that you could help those early in their careers with mentorship and advice, please do get in touch with me via the link in the show notes. I have several guests lined up already, but there is room for more. My guest today is Professor Paul McGee, international speaker and best-selling author who focuses on change, resilience, motivation and inspiring leadership. His book, Sumo, Shut Up, Move On, is a Sunday Times bestseller and has been translated into 12 different languages. I first came across Paul when he was speaking at an Institute of Management session around 2010 and found him inspirational. I went out and bought the Sumo book immediately and that book to this day is in my top three personal development books. I won't say who the other two are as I'm working on the authors appearing in a future podcast episode. He is also known as The Sumo Guy, and you can find him via his website, thesumoguy.com, and using the Sumo Guy handle on social media. And so to my interview with Paul. Paul, thanks ever so much for joining Half Hour Mentor. Um, let's go back to your teenage, student years even. What was the first job or career you wanted to do? What sparked your interest? Going back to my teenage years, look, I must have a very good memory, Ian. Um I actually always liked drama at school and I also enjoyed English. So what I was thinking of pursuing at some stage was either a, a, fa- a, a facting, I was going to say thespian or acting career, but it came out as facting. That'll, that'll get you, that'll stand you out at an interview. <laughs> um, so I was looking at becoming a thespian or an actor um, or, or possibly a journalist. And ultimately, I did neither. So what did you do? Well, I I had an illness that impacted my, my future very much so. But ultimately, interestingly enough, Ian, I, I now write books and I speak at conferences and at team events. And in many ways, some of my acting skills and, if I'm honest, enjoying being the centre of attention is something which I, I feel that the acting bug was in some respects fulfilled and expressed through my speaking. And my journalism career, which didn't take off, but having written 13 books, one of which staggeringly became the Sunday Times bestseller, I suppose my journalistic slant was ultimately satisfied through my writing. Yeah. And that sumo book, which we'll talk about in a minute, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I've got you on the podcast because of the benefits given me in the past. Um, But again, we'll talk about that in a moment. I think I understand at one stage that you work with people who um, you're helping them that have been made redundant. Um, Can you tell us a bit about what that involved and how that sort of supported how you supported them and how, you know, they supported your development? Yeah, many, many years ago, before your listeners were born, but in the early 1990s, um, we closed a lot of um, coal mines throughout the country. And that left tens of thousands of people who worked for the for British coal 
uh, not just underground, but in offices, uh, you know, supporting them, finance, admin, et cetera, et cetera. Made a load of them redundant. And I'd gone self-employed at the time, um, having signed off invalidity benefit, having been ill for a number of years. And um, I was involved in helping with CV uh, writing, interview techniques. And it's interesting that, Ian, in that one of the things I realized was that you could help people with their CV. You could even give them interview techniques. But the most important thing to work on for everybody was their mindset and their attitude and their self-belief. And we had this like a, a mini job center. And some people would come in. And they'd go, right, I'm looking for an opportunity. And they'd spend some time there. And others would come in because we'd invited them. And they'd go, I don't know why I'm even here. There's no jobs. And, and I would say to them, how did you get to this centre? And they'd go, well, I drove here. And I said, did you notice that there was traffic whilst you drove here? And they'd go, well, of course there was traffic. What are you trying to get at? I said, what are those people in cars doing? Just driving around aimlessly or are they working or driving to work? So, yes, the economy at the time was a challenge. We were actually in a recession. But mindset matters massively, it's something I continually talk about in all kinds of capacities in which I'm involved in working. And it was really important for the people in that context. Yeah, that, that obviously comes across. And I think very much about mindset is throughout all the work that you've done that we've seen recently is it threads through all of that. You talked about the illness that you had, which was ME. Perhaps, well, perhaps if you could explain a little bit about that was, and I know that had a big effect on what you do now and how it's developed. So can you talk us through that experience? Because I know it, it really put, set you back quite quite significantly in terms of your career, but how did you sort of pull away from that and how, is it, how have sure. you worked on it? So, I'd, I'd, so ME stands for myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is why they call it ME. It's sometimes known as chronic fatigue syndrome. And if no one's ever come across it before, just imagine you're going to bed at night, your phone is completely dead. So you charge it up for eight hours with the expectation it'll be on 100% in the morning. Well, using that metaphor, I'd be charged up over the overnight, wake up and I'd be on 5%. So it very much impacted my energy levels. I had a walking stick. The only person who knew me with the illness was actually in a wheelchair. And I think it's fair to say at the time, it wasn't just that I didn't have any job or any career, but I didn't have a lot of hope. So it really was a huge setback. And I was on what they then called invalidity benefit. And it's interesting because if you look at that word invalid, it can also be read as invalid, not working, not of worth, not of use. So for me, it wasn't just a physical battle that I was um, having to fight. It was also a psychological one as well. And what age were you at roughly at this stage, Paul? I was around about 24. Um, so more or less around my mid-20s. I'd got this high-flying graduate management trainee job. I'd never thought about going to university, um, having had my ideas or my dreams of becoming an actor very much poo-pooed by a very unhelpful and ultimately rather abusive stepfather. Um, I ended up working in a bank, hated every minute of it, got my A-level results. They were good enough to get me into university, which I did a year later. So did a four-year degree, incorporated behavioural and social psychology, trained as a probation officer as part of that degree. He said not to do it, but let's go down the HR route, which I did. But within a year of having that role in HR with Unilever, that's when I became ill. Gosh. OK, so 
24, very formative time in terms of your early career. How on earth did you cope with that then? How did you you get out of that sort of mental and physical trough? uh, Well, it was a trough. And I think it was there were good days and there were bad days. And it became very much. um, Dale Carnegie wrote a book many years ago. His famous one called How to Win Friends and Influence People. But he also wrote another book called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. And in that book, he talks about living in daytight compartments. And for me, it became rather than keep focusing on the future, you had to go, okay, what can I do to get through today? And Ian, it was very, very difficult. It was very humbling. My wife worked full time. I wasn't able to do anything in the house. I wasn't able to cook. I wasn't able to clean. There weren't food banks in those days, but my my in, my mother-in-law and my mum would sometimes bob around about once a week, and they just bring a small box of groceries with them just to help support us. And but I did get into personal development, and in those days, you listened to what they called audio cassettes, and I found those helpful. I had some good friends as part of a very sort of supportive community church where a number of people supported me as well. And over time, and it was over time, I saw those um, small green shoots of recovery, really. And on my good days, and I would have some good days, I actually volunteered and worked with the Samaritans. Um, I did a creative writing course, which was basically me and a bunch of old age pensioners met on a Monday morning in Warrington Town Centre just for two hours I'd have to sleep the rest of the day, but it gave me a little bit of meaning, a little bit of purpose and a bit of structure to my day. And over time, I was one of the fortunate people that was ultimately made a full recovery from the illness. Wonderful. So how did you get to uh, Sumo then? You know, what's the, when was that launched and how did you lead up to thinking, I've got this fantastic sort of, well, you probably didn't think it was fantastic at the time until it was uh, successful. But how did you get it launched? I think, well, I, I became self-employed in, in the early 90s, and I came across just 11 years later this catchphrase, SUMO, which is an acronym, started off its life just meaning shut up, move on. And, and it was a phrase I started to use occasionally, um, and, and people seemed to sort of react and respond to it, and it became almost this umbrella term. I was running my own business then in training and development and speaking occasionally at conferences, but it became the umbrella term to describe a number of different ideas that I had. And I think one of the things that is important in life is sometimes, you know, how you brand yourself and how you differentiate yourself from others at times. So I became known as the sumo guy. Um, People were saying you should write a book. Um, I was rejected by 13 publishers, but in the end, one publisher took, um, took a risk. I think that was fair to say it was a risk. And for some reason, WH Smith's made it their business book of the month. I want to say for some reason, it was a strange decision by them, if I'm perfectly honest, because it wasn't a business book. But they made it their number one business book of the month in all their stores, in railways and airports and in service stations. And that gave my profile and the contents of the book, you know, a huge boost. And um, it opened many doors, including um, someone who worked for an organization. Her brother worked at Manchester City as head of player care and support there. And uh, she said to him, you need to read this book. I think you'd love it. He did, fortunately. And he went on to bring me into it with Manchester City. And for five years, I was on a monthly retainer working one day a week, sometimes a couple of days a week with the club. And then five years after that, 
after they set up their own psychology department, didn't need me. I still had various staff who would basically bring me in to do some work with them. So it was very much a stepping stone. And it's been a story of evolution rather than revolution as such. It wasn't overnight success. It was meant over many years. Yeah, I mean, I I can go back and I'm trying to think of the date around about 2010, 2011. It might have been a bit sooner that, that I first saw you on a conference and some of the things about how the beach ball. I'm going to leave that there because I'll, there's a link in the show notes for this podcast that will give links to everything that you do. And I do strongly recommend people, if they haven't seen the book, just go out and get it. Because it is, for me, I have to say it was life changing. Thank you. The beach you. ball. The victim T-shirts, so many little simple things that make a huge difference. Um, Can I go back to that bit where you said about you had rejection from so many different publishers? Um, Because that sort of resonates a bit with me with um, perhaps some of our listeners who are looking for, let's say, a final year under university student. They've sent out 30 applications for jobs. They've had 25 rejections and they think I'm never going to get a job. How do you deal with that? How did, how did you deal with the, the publishing issue? And I suppose that translates to how uh, recommendations for our listeners as well. Sure. I think it's, I actually think it's unhelpful to say, well, don't take it personally. You, you will take it personally. You know, if you're applying for a job, in my case, I was trying to get a book published. It's you, isn't it? You're representing yourself. With me, it was I was representing my ideas. So I have this little concept in uh, Sumo, which is called Hippo Time is OK. What are hippos doing mud? They have a bit of a wallow. So first of all, when you get a rejection, I'm not going to go, oh, well, never mind. Keep on fighting and press on. Actually, acknowledge your disappointment. You know, digest your disappointment. Sometimes in life to feel mad, bad or sad is okay. So I'm not one of those that goes, well, you just got to keep on smiling and pressing on. Yes, on one level you do, but also allow yourself a little bit of hippo time. But also remember this, it's a detour. It's not a destination because some people can wallow for too long. And one thing's when I would get a book rejection. And in those days, because my book came out ultimately in 205, but in 204, we were still using, although we did email, obviously, but I'd get a letter very often and you'd eagerly uh, open up the white envelope or the brown envelope as to what the publisher had said, get another setback, another rejection. And one thing that I would allow myself was a bit of hippo time. But before the day was out, I was thinking, what is one small positive step I can take today? So although I'd have my hippo time, What's the one thing I could do, which was maybe it would be research some other kind of publisher who you could send your proposal to. Or it might well be, I know I've listened to that audio cassette before that I found motivational, but I'm going to listen to that again. So I always think it's about acknowledging your disappointment, digesting it, but not staying drowning in that sort of like pool of self-pity, if you like, and think, is there one small step I can take? I'm thinking about persistence as well. Um, it's interesting. I, I'm now on TikTok and I, I've i had a video go viral in the last 24 hours. If you consider a, a video that's had over 100,000 views as viral. Now, here's what's really interesting, Ian, is that was the 62nd video I posted. I'd done 61 before then. And some of them had done okay. But nothing earth shattering. And then the 62nd one I post 
it's it's well over a hundred thousand views so far and, and climbing. Why do you think that is? What what do you think that is that re- resonates with the audience? I think well, it, it was interesting because I think it is it's, it's learning, and I think that's the other thing about when you apply for jobs. Don't just digest your disappointment. Ask yourself two questions: What can I learn from this from this rejection, and what would I do differently next time? And I found with some of the videos I was doing, I'd always high energy and had some good ideas wanted to share with people. My daughter said to me, and she's in her late 20s, she said, you know, Dad, for a lot of people, they just want something really sharp and and snappy and simple. And and I think the fact that you need to realise people are constantly just scrolling through TikTok and you need to grab people straight away. And um, the video that went viral, I think it's about 18 seconds long. And as you probably gathered by now, I'm not one for short answers. So and and also just keep on thinking about what my audience wants rather than what I think they need to hear. But I think the other point is 61 videos before I got to number 62. And I think rejection is part of life. Um, And we just need to accept that. Some people get a very, very quick breakthrough, but many don't. And it's just part of the journey. Absolutely. So you mentioned that I think that's a great point about having, you know, think of one positive thing, if you like, one thing that you might be able to do differently if you've had that base of rejections during the day. If you turn that into, say, I don't know, a finance student, for example, who thinks I need to join a PwC, a KPMG, you know, other accounting auditing firms are available, um, but they're getting those constant rejections then how would you translate what you've learned and what you put across into somebody in those shoes i think it's great to have a goal and to aim high but also be prepared to start small i mean a a dj that most people will be familiar with and a broadcaster is chris evans and i think sometimes people see the glory but they don't always understand the story that got people there You know, he worked um, for, I think it was Piccadilly Radio in Manchester as a runner. He was unpaid. And I think just be prepared at times to, although you can have high hopes and high expectations, the first rung on the ladder is a massively important one because then it's going to help you get to the next rung and the next rung. And I think sometimes, although we can aim high, Ultimately, we need to realise there is a journey to get there. There is a process to get there. And just because maybe some of the big hitters in the world of accountancy and finance might not have taken you on. There was a guy who I used to work with at British Coal, incredibly positive attitude, and he kept all his rejection letters. Um, Now, for now, it would be your rejection emails, but he put them in a folder and he called the folder they've missed out on me folder. And and it's interesting, isn't it? You know, 13 publishers said to me, forget it, Sumo, shut up, move on. It is not going to sell. One of them actually explicitly said, no one is going to buy a book that's telling them to shut up and move on. And it became a Sunday Times bestseller and, and translated to 11 or 12 different languages. There are 13 publishers who probably look back and think, where would we be financially if we'd have taken a risk with that guy? But they they acted with good intention. Public um, people who are trying to recruit always act with good intention. They miss out on you. We can have a pity party. We can have a bit of hippo time. But then we just got to move on. And um, either this other little phrase, you know, blessed are the flexible, for they will be successful. 
sometimes you've just got to be flexible and adaptable, but realize life is often about stepping stones rather than one big giant leap. Great advice, really is. Looking at yourself now then, sort of presently, successful in all of those angles, what's your recipe for success? How do you motivate yourself? Um, someone said to me recently, what gets you out of bed in the morning? I said, my bladder. Um, but apart from that, I don't know. I just feel I am, you know, we, we talk about this whole concept of gratitude and mindfulness. And some people see it as a bit twee and cheesy. But at the end of the day, I, I do think quite deeply about a lot of things. And one of the things that I think deeply about is we have to have this privilege of being alive on this planet. And despite all the challenges we've got, there's probably never been a better time in human history to be born. And if you're born in the Western Hemisphere, you know, you're in the top five, 10 percent of the wealthiest people on Earth with so many opportunities. And that isn't to make people feel guilty. It's just to say, come on. I know there's a cost of living crisis. I know there's all kinds of issues and challenges, but let's just stop and appreciate what we have. And also just to recognize that, okay, well, if life's an opportunity and it's a bit of a gift, let's not waste that gift or opportunity. So I am, you know, old enough to be the father of probably every one of your listeners. And yet I am still, you know, as I say, I just went on to TikTok because I thought maybe I could reach a whole new audience. Let's understand the privilege of life and let's understand that actually one of the ways you are you become fulfilled is not always thinking about how you meet your needs but how do you help and support other people because when you help and support other people you find you feel good about yourself so yes I've achieved what some people consider to be success it's come at a cost at times it's come at a price it's been a struggle it's definitely not been overnight but why can someone who's getting on to being, you know, nearly 60 years old feel so passionate about stuff is because I still feel life's a privilege and we shouldn't waste it. Look, at, let's look at job interviews. So a lot of listeners to this series will be thinking either they're looking for the first jobs or they're looking for a fresh change and so on. So let's focus on job interviews for a moment then. But what would your, let's say your top three tips be um, for just really helping somebody prepare and handle interviews? What I would say, I mean, there will be three tips ultimately, but first of all, I think when you do your first one or two interviews, you put the work in, you put the effort, you do the research. My concern is that when you start to get a number of interviews, if you're not careful, you become complacent. So I have, I have interviewed people in the last sort of few years. I've been developing my team uh, we tried to get some people involved in doing sumo for schools, which is like the, the children's branch of, of sumo. And I would interview people and I'd say, tell me what you know about sumo. And someone would go, um, is it a book? It's a book, isn't it? Um, I said, yes, it's a book. Have you read it? No, but I'm thinking of reading it. Oh, well, that's great. You know, you're out the door. You, you show some respect to your employer or potential future employer, what do you know? Really research the job and research the role and also research the kind and think about the kind of questions you'd like to ask. So it's obvious advice, but you'd be surprised how often people overlook it is be, you know, in the I think it was the Boy Scouts had this be prepared motto. And I do think it can still 
um, mark you out. My my daughter is involved in in a management position in hospitality. She has to interview people. She's staggered. People stumble across a job, you know, opportunity, and they don't put the preparation preparation. So number one, whole thing around preparation and research. Number two is be a bit of a politician, because when politicians are trained, get some media training, they'll often be it's often said that the, the politician doesn't always directly answer the question. And what they've been trained to do is to make sure that whatever points they want to get across in that interview with the media, however the questions are asked, those points are put across. Now, how does that relate to you uh, as someone who's going for a job interview? You really want to kick yourself if at the end of the interview, you say something along the lines of, well, they never asked me anything about this or I wasn't given a chance to shine. I think at times you need to think, what are the two or three key things I must make sure I get across at this interview about myself? And whether the questions directly lead you to that or not, you don't leave that interview until you think you've actually put across the key things you wanted to ask. So be prepared. Think about what the key points you are wanting to put across, whether you specifically ask the right questions or not. And thirdly, it's more the post interview. And it's what I talked about earlier on, which is to do some reflection and to ask yourself, OK, you know, what worked well? What was I pleased about? Um, and also, what could I learn from that experience and perhaps do differently next time? And I remember one job interview I went for many, many years ago when I was just getting over my illness. And he took me to the cleaners, the interviewer. And I'm so glad he did because I was poorly prepared. And I've thought to myself, I will never experience that feeling again in my life. And I never did. That last point in particular is something very much to learn from, isn't it? So, you know, when you think it's gone bad, is reflecting why that is and never get that in that position again. That, that's that's uh, really excellent advice. Well, Paul, thanks ever so much for sharing uh, your experience and your wisdom with us uh, and good luck with the future of, um, with all that you do with Sumo. And I say all the details will be in the show notes for people to be able to follow uh, what you do, even the TikTok link as well. Uh, but I've, I've got one final question for you, which I ask all of my guests, and that's knowing what you know now, what one piece of advice would you give that younger self of you? I think it would be just to accept that life is a roller coaster. And it's not my quote, but it's a quote that people might be familiar with. Don't look, don't let success go to your head. And don't let failure go to your heart. And I think there's been times, Ian, when I've allowed, you know, I've come off stage to a standing ovation and you think I can take on the world. And then there's other times when things haven't gone well and it's I feel like it's the end of my world. Paul, just acknowledge it's a roller coaster. Don't let success go to your head and don't let failure go to your heart. It's always a pleasure chatting to Paul. And I find that every time I come away with some simple phrases that stick with me. In this interview, he talked about career progression being about stepping stones, not one giant leap. And that in successful people, we often see the glory and not the story. Another one that I remember from one of his videos a while back is to think of the word fail as a mnemonic. 
a first attempt in learning. F-I-A-L, first attempt in learning. We all make mistakes, but let's use them as a learning experience. That one's always stuck with me. Thanks to Paul for his wisdom, mentorship, and for being so honest about the personal challenges he faced early in his career. You can learn about Paul's work by following the links in the show notes. You'll also see a link there to the variety of different degree offerings available through the series sponsor, Manchester Metropolitan University Business School, and my thanks go to them for helping keep this series ad-free. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the series wherever you get your pods and review the back catalogue. That way, you'll also be prompted when Series 2 commences. You can leave feedback about the episode through social media by searching for Half Hour Mentor. Thanks to all my guests in this series, and I hope you've enjoyed listening to them as much as I've enjoyed chatting with them and producing the final podcasts. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, bye for now. Thank you.